We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to episode 328 of the Borsona Podcast brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton and I'm again joined by Domagoy Kostenchuk and we are breaking down a topsy-turvy Catalan Derby. But before that, happy Valentine's Day, Domagov. We are not each other's Valentines, don't worry about that. But I have to shout out our significant others for allowing us to make time for our other true love and that is FC Barcelona today. <laughs> that is that is very true. It's, it's one... Our one true love, one that keeps on giving, but also keeps taking so much away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a lot less helter-skelter, a lot less chaos for Valentine's Day dinner tonight. But speaking of no love lost, there was no love lost in the derby against Espanyol yesterday, as I said. Barca getting the draw in the final minute via a Luke de Young header. And we'll get to the offense. We'll get to the midfield. I guess the best way to break down this kind of game would be go defense, midfield, attack, even though we all know Things happen in units. Things happen as a one whole team, as one eleven. Everything is reliant on one another. But I, I do want to start particularly with the back line uh, yesterday, which had a rough night, to say the least, and a night so bad that it could lead to other bad nights as well. We're talking about availability. We're talking about injuries. And we're just talking about, uh, I think, confidence in, in certain players as well. So of the things that we could talk about here, Dest, Garcia, Araujo, PK, I think we're going to hit all of it. Where do we, sp- where do we begin, Domagoy? I don't know. Whatever we we do touch upon, it's it's the back line is always kind of a tricky part of Barcelona. It, it's it's just it feels like we just cannot get it right. It's it's sort of for everything that we do have that's that that keep that works. We have one thing that just doesn't work, and we we do not have every player that we can play comes with pros and cons, uh, and and that's best seen in in Araujo and and, and Eric Garcia. They're kind of the polar opposites. One being the uh, the ultimate progressor that we need, the Barca need to kind of play this the style they want to play, and then you have Araujo, who is the only reliable defender in the team, but he is just he's poor on the ball. He's not that he's not awful, but he's just not at the standard that, that a Barca center back should be, especially when Xavi wants to wants to set up in such a way that you know the backline needs to be progressive, the backline needs to be able to break lines, it needs to be able to exploit when there's a natural superiority in, in the first line without you know tinkering too much with the rest of the squad, which was a big, big issue, uh, I guess, in Espanol. I wonder if Araujo is overthinking something of his passing too, because you notice that he, he'll hold the ball and wait on any short passes to Busquets, 
it basically gets Busquets out of position or makes Busquets drop in too deep. So it looked like in that first half, Busquets or Pedri would drop in really deep. And that would mean that Espanyol could just sit in that low block and didn't have to worry about any numerical advantages that Barca might have in the midfield. And the midfielders for Espanyol were never really truly overwhelmed to the point where they had to drop even farther back. Uh, I think Barca, when they were able to get into the final third, were pressing well and turning Espanyol over and keeping the pressure on and keeping a high line of confrontation. But it does seem to be the issue that once the opposition crosses midfield, yeah, Barca is as listless as any other team in the Liga. They're in as much danger defensively as any other team in the Liga. And to the point, too, about building up and those numerical advantages, as you said, Araujo was either knocking the ball long or said he needed extra help to drop in being Busquets or Pedri, and then you'd lose the numbers there, and they just didn't have enough control. And then in the second half, when Barcelona were pressing for a goal, they had control. There was a bit more intensity from everybody because, again, they were desperate to, to come back after that goal. But yeah, I mean, Eric Garcia... I'm having such trouble with it because there's no defense of his performance yesterday. That is a kind of performance that if you have other center backs in your team, you are put on the bench and don't get a call up. Like that is your chance. Like there, there was, I, I'm going to talk about Sergi Dardare later, but he, he mentioned in his interview with Sid Lowe earlier last week that, you know, there are moments where if your moment, if you don't hit your moment, if you don't have the confidence, if you don't do it right, you're never going to get to be featured again as a young player. And the two things work for him is that one, he is still a young player. He's still just 20. So what can he improve on defensively? Can he, can he watch the film? And we know that he's a very thoughtful player. So can he watch that film and never make that mistake again on a player like RDT? Can, can he make sure that he isn't caught between two minds in that scenario? Because again, we, we know what he does offensively with this progressive passing, but as far as the narrative, Eric Garcia, it is frustrating because nobody was on his team in the first part when he showed up for the first two months and everyone said, you know, he's terrible, never going to be up to the level, get him out of my club. He's done. You know, let's not worry about him. And then he has a really good stretch of performances for about two months. Nobody says a word. It's oh, he was fine again. Yeah, great. All right. All right. And then this one obviously is like, Hey, remember, he's not at the level. He'll never be good enough. It's over. Right. And it's like, that's the plight of a center back. So see a young center back that you do well, Nobody's going to praise you for, again, the progressive passing. Like, Araujo makes the tackle. He does the exciting thing that a defender's supposed to do, which is defend. And so I understand the adage, too, that if a defender's not defending, then what's the point of the defender? And I get that. And so that's why Araujo gets so much more praise than Eric Garcia. But systematically, Garcia improves the team in really fundamental ways. And as you said, they're complete polar opposites. And we keep repeating that until we're blue in the face. But Garcia has a place in at least my version of Barcelona. And I think Xavi's version of Barcelona, too. He just has to regain some of the confidence he had defensively. But I worry in the long term what that's going to do to his confidence. On the other side, Araujo, speaking of two sides of the same coin, Araujo has the same issues except his injuries. He's injury prone. He's missed more time than Dembele in the last two years. And that's a big concern for Araujo. It is. It really is a big concern. And the thing is, both of them are so unique uh, in our squad because you don't have such a good defender like Araujo. Other, other than him, no one else is at such a high level. And the same is true for Eric Garcia in terms of his passing. There's no one in the team who can do what he does on the ball from the back line. So you kind of have to play both of them. But <laughs> I, I joked the other day, well, actually it was yesterday, I joked that the best thing for Barca would be if they could kind of uh, fuse them into one player and then you would have a player who is great defensively but also good on the ball. That would be, that'd be like the perfect thing. But, but yes, you are right. They are kind of, they are polar opposites and they both come with, clear pros and cons and i think that in terms of both of them the good thing is both of their deficiencies let's put them that way are are coachable so if garcia wants he, he can he could physically 
develop a bit more he could he could work out he could get that mass and that got get that strength but also he has to learn the fundamental fundamentals of defending he needs to learn how to position himself properly because he, he's not doing that he's not really reading the play well defensively we often praise him for his defensive iq because he is not the type of player the type of defender who will who win those direct duels one versus one confrontations with the, the four he will he has to read the game and has to step one stay one step ahead of the opposition to be effective he's similar to Busquets in that way Busquets is a great tackler and a great interceptor of the ball because he reads the game well and that that needs to be Eric's strength as well because physically he won't really be that competitive and for Araujo I think he has already improved on the ball a lot because he used to be much worse, if I remember that correctly. So that aspect of his profile is also coachable. And we, we've seen him, he can throw those passes. He can do the, the simpler passes, but he tends to kind of go long. Whenever he was in possession, he mostly would just lob the, the ball over, over the top into Adama Traore or, I don't know, even Gavi on the other side. Uh, but I feel like those things being coachable is the best possible news in, in this situation. It's not an ideal situation because obviously the, we have two players who are great at one thing, but really bad at the other thing. But we need them to be great at both of those things. But the good news is definitely that it's coachable. And I think with with Xavi, they should be able to improve. Yeah, I mean, I think Garcia, I, I'd not say it's less coachable about some of those defensive instincts. And obviously you can't really change his ability to, uh, you know, he, he won't be what Rajo is physically, you know, tackling wise, but yeah, I, I think, you know, continue that, that point on, on Garcia. I have heard some things about him potentially being a, a would he be better as a midfielder? It's a question I've heard a ton of times on the by different people, including Patreons. And I, I don't know about that. You know, I, I think that, I think he does profile as a center back and I think his progressive passing is more important as a center back. And I think just physically, if you think his, his lateral quickness is a problem now, and you could say that, you know, he is a similar lateral quickness to Busquets and yo, Busquets had a different job. And, you know, you and I last time we spoke was all about Busquets. So go back and listen to that show, what we thought about Busquets and how his role has changed, how the role of the defensive midfielder has changed. And I just don't think Garcia has the lateral quickness. And I don't think he reads the game that well high up the field, but as a, as a center back, which is where he's always been, that's his position for his whole, unlike Araujo, which started as a striker, or Balbe, who started out as a winger, or Albu, who started out as a winger, or Pique, who started out as a striker. Eric Garcia has always been a center back, always was a center back in the academy at, at uh, in La Masia. And so he's going to be, I think, a center back for his career. At what level can he reach? I, I don't know, but I, I don't see him as a midfielder. I just don't think he he's going to be physically able to read the game. And I think a lot of the issues you have with Busquets, you're just going to repeat it with Eric Garcia over and over and over again. But I also don't think he has the, the sheer raw ability that Busquets has uh, again he, Busquets as we talked about is 1v1 for that kind of position so if you're going to slow a defensive midfielder down that's why you and I said you got to replace him with somebody a bit more mobile and so I, I don't think Eric Garcia caused, uh, fixes that problem and the same thing with Mingaitha too beyond that and speaking of Mingaitha yeah looking ahead Araujo, I don't think he's going to be sanctioned, but he could still be sanctioned for his gesture uh, at the Espanol bench. So hopefully nothing comes of that. We'll see about that. We also don't know about his injury. Seems like the club, as far as us recording this, reported that you know he, he's going to be reassessed, which is never a good sign. It usually means you're probably going to miss the next game or two. And then, of course, the late red card is from Gerard Piquet and, and Nico Mir, which... I think there's not much to say here. Absolutely embarrassing for PK. Yeah, he loves to play against Espanol. He has more goals against them than anybody else, but you can't you can't lose your head like that late in the game when your team absolutely needs you to be on the field. Alves is also gone for Europa League. He's not registered, and he's gone against Valencia as well next weekend. So, I mean, 
I, I don't know. I, I know you're going to say Miko Marmol. I, I don't want to take away your thunder, but I know you're going to say Miko Marmol and Lang Lei and Umtiti are also recovering from their injuries. But I mean, I, I, I think I, if I had to guess, I think you might see a back line of Frankie de Young as a libero and Eric Garcia and Mangetha in a back three. If I had to guess, I think that is the direction, or it could simply be a 4-3-3. I guess I'm talking myself about this immediately, but I think more likely it's probably a 4-3-3 with De Jong actually as a, as a center back next to Eric Garcia, if Mingetha isn't trusted in that position. Yeah, that is true. I mean, I would absolutely love to see Mika. I mean, that's, not, that's no secret, but it's difficult. I don't think it's going to happen just yet. Uh, I think I've seen reports of Mingueza and Eric being the center back duo as well. And then you have Dest on the right and then Alba on the left. I guess that could work as well. I'm, I'm just not confident. In that. I'm not really confident that it's going to work out well, but we'll see. And yes, Frankie de Jong would be a good choice for the back line. I mean, the best we've seen Frank, from Frankie in the last couple of games uh, against Atletico and, and as well as against Espanyol has been when he's you know, when he has the, the freedom to drop deeper and then advance from that deep position forward. And I think that deploying him as a libero, it, it would it would kind of still continue the trend and he would be able to continue with the good performances as well. Uh, it remains to be seen. I feel like this, the, the whole structure with the false pivot as uh, when the, the right back inverts, that is likely to, to continue. But we've also seen that it's also very situational. It doesn't really... Well, it's not that it doesn't work in every situation. It's, it's more like it, it depends on the opposition because Espanol, they can't deploy this 4-5-1 structure or something like that. They flood the midfield and they didn't really bother with pressing the first line of, 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 our, of our structure. So I think it's, it wasn't necessary to, to put that many bodies, that many players so deep. So it, it really depends. It really depends on the opposition and how they... How they uh, deploy the defensive block. Uh, we'll see. I guess Frankie in the backline. I would. I would say that that's a good good option as well. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. 
Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content, everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Glad you bring up desk. That's where we'll wrap up this defensive backline discussion that, you know, we were wondering how much of a Danny Alves, you know, performance would he try to, to put on? How much of that was he going to be capable of? He didn't invert too much. But he also didn't really get forward much at all. His one job was to defend. And I think Dest did that well. I, I thought he had defensively. He was fine. Absolutely fine. So I, I think Dest didn't hurt Barca in that game at all. He was not a liability. I don't know how much he pushed the team forward. As, as we talked about, because both he and Araujo were kind of being told by Espanol, hey, you guys got to beat us on the ground here. Do your job. I mean, if, if you can beat us, then, then somebody will break through. Sure. But yeah, I mean, even when he would move into the midfield, it, it wasn't it wasn't part of the game plan. And so for Dest, yeah, I, I, I just said for Dest, it's frustrating because we're expecting him to do something that I don't think is in the instructions where I, you can see by the heat maps, you can see by the number of times that Barca went down the left, the whole, the whole plan, both against Atletico Madrid and against Espanol. When you have a player like Adama Traore in your starting lineup, you're playing a false nine in Ferran Torres, and then you're playing an inverted winger in Gabi on the left side with Alba overlapping and De Jong shading over to the left as well, dropping in and helping and becoming a double pivot only when Alba gets forward. Like that indicates that they're trying to build up through the left. And that means that Dest, when he inverts, is not inverting to break through lines. He's inverting his positioning just to defend in that position, as opposed to Alba, who uh, Alves rather, not Alba, but Alves, who's being tasked when he was on the field to step forward a bit more and join that attack. Because you notice a position of PK, PK was a bit higher and that means because of Dest and Araujo, that combination, then Busquets was a bit deeper as well, even when Barcelona, in their rest defense, when Barcelona had possession of the ball. So once more, it's also with Adama Traore on the one end that you're actually going to keep Dest a little farther back as well and give Adama as much room as humanly possible to go 1v1 with the left back, especially when they're playing in five at the back, as you said, where the first goal happens partly because Dest stays at home because Adama's out way on the right, and when the ball is, is, is moved over to Alba, who's actually inverted, actually in a bit on that cross. So on, on that goal, uh, just to break it down for you real quick, that 
it's a long ball to Adama who starts to move. He misplays a centering pass. Get used to that. Busquets gets it back to De Jong, who dropped in for Alvin overlap. Alba cross finds Pedri, who was playing in between Pedrosa and Cabrera and right off the shoulder of Ferran Torres. And I'm going to transition this in the midfield that Dest doesn't need to get forward as much because Xavi's getting more out of his interiors in the attacking third. We're seeing goals from Pedri. We're seeing goals from Gabi. We've seen a few goals from Frankie de Jong. And if Pedri has the sense, and we see Gabi in the same way, if they have the sense to play off those false nines and keep that being Adama Traore just crossing it in, and then Alba's the one getting forward on the other side because de Jong is dropping in, well, that's the game plan. So I'm not going to fault Des for doing something that he wasn't being asked to do, if that makes any sense, right? I can only judge him on what the instructions seem to be. And that was defend well, keep your line, and make sure Adama Traore doesn't get in trouble on that right side. And I think Des did that admirably in the game. And yeah, we can expect more of him. I want him to help more. But I just, if anything, I just want him to give me a floor. That's what I want to see. I want to see a floor. How, like, how bad is a bad game from, from Des? I want him to raise that level. Yeah, I, th- I think, well, he had a rough game. I mean, a rough game. It's, it's difficult to really, really criticize him for that. But, uh, and of course, he will struggle at first in that inverted role, which is which was pretty evident in the first half yesterday. We shouldn't be surprised by that. He played in a completely new role in a derby against an overperforming Espanol in hostile environment. It's, of course, he struggled. But I think Barca also didn't really help him with the limited progression from the back. Uh, his issue, the way I see it, was kind of multi-layered. First, you had the fact that he wasn't really moving optimally. He didn't really op- open channels well, nor did he occupy the right positions to be found from the back line in the first place. When he, when he was found, Barca was so heavily outnumbered and tightly marked in that midfield, or he was just poorly positioned uh, that he could only play the pass backwards when he, whenever he got position. So that's partly because he was visibly, he was scared. I feel he, was, he played scared and he wouldn't really take any risks. And also because most of the time he would just drop too deep or he would just he wouldn't move well. So he wouldn't really make himself available at all. There was one occasion when when Barca uh, managed to draw Espanol out of their block and Xavi's overload with Gavi tucking in from the from the from the left was in full effect. Dest received the ball, he turned in his man in one move, and then he kind of linked up with Adama Shore, who was isolated on the right side. I think that was that that was part of the game plan. When you, when you can overload that midfield and you can get Dest in favorable positions in, in a more inverted position as well, I think he can still do, do damage. He, can, he has the technical quality to kind of even thrive in that position. I mean, I've been pretty vocal that Dest, uh, on Dest being an inverted fullback rather than the traditional overlapping option, the problem with him on the outside is that he simply is not such a profile of a player, at least not in my mind. What many expect is that we'll have an overlapping fullback, fullback on the right side who will have a similar contribution to the overlapping fullback on the left side. Because if you want to have a fullback as an outlet, that's what he has to be. He has to be this penetrative option with a great final ball, with cutbacks, all sorts of crosses and deep, deep completions. But Dest is not really Alba, is he? I mean, he's decently fast, but nowhere near as explosive or penetrative as a natural winger would be. He's a good dribbler, uh, but over lar- large chunks of, of space uh, that needs to be covered against an isolated marker, I'm not sure he would perform as well as a winger either. On the other hand, Alba p- potentially would, right? Which is also the reason why we have a wide winger on the right side and have a false winger or inverted, inverted forwards uh, on the left side. Alba can be an outlet and Dest cannot really be an outlet. That's, that's how I see it at the moment. And look at those characteristics that we we cannot tell 
say that that's our best strengths is pace and dribbling, right? But top speed and even acceleration is not really coachable. I mean, the, their physical capabilities like that can be that we have some control over, but but very little compared to what's truly coachable. So my worry is that Dest uh, and his ceiling in terms of those outlet-based capabilities is not really that high. And this, what we're seeing from him, may be close to his maximum potential. And on the other hand, if he inverts, I feel like that has a much, much higher ceiling because if you contrast that wide role to the inverted role, he is highly technical, which means he can operate at multiple angles. And just like Danny Alves, for example, he's a good dribbler, but those things don't exactly help him become a drastically better overlapping fullback. So, so to be a good inverted right back or a fullback or false interior, whatever, he would need to improve his awareness. He would need to improve his alertness and maybe defensively as well. But, you know, those things are coachable. And when you combine that with kind of a, a huge, a big technical base, which he has, his good dribbling and good passing, which is decent, not elite, but decent, you actually have a solid foundation to, to turn this into a good inverted fullback. <laughs> if that makes sense, I kind of, went off the rails with that one but it's, it's just i just have so many thoughts about this it's it's something i've been thinking about a lot but you know it's 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 a stretch because he doesn't seem so comfortable in that position just yet but i feel he has the foundation to become successful at it well right and, and the lack of desk presence in the midfield meant that both de young and busquets were kind of doing a different job than they were against atletico madrid and they i mean as i said busquets was a bit deeper to to cover for them in, in terms of build-up and then that meant that De Jong, I mean, his job is to support that left wing and support the attack over there, but also to defend through the middle. And so I think after what we had talked about Atletico Madrid, that Busquets, I think, kind of suffered against Atletico Madrid while De Jong was, was the better of the two, which has not been the case under Xavi. And Busquets has been better since Xavi took over. But I, I think people are questioning that Busquets-De Jong substitution decision to take De Jong off instead of Busquets. Where do you stand on that line? And I, I think it's frustrating too, because I, I mean, I'll give it to quick that if Busquets had been subbed off in two of the last six matches or seven matches or something, this wouldn't be a talking point. But Busquets plays 90 minutes at in, uh, as I've said before, just at an, uh, an uncomfortable rate. He plays a bit too many mini, uh, 90 minutes. He plays a bit too many minutes for somebody who's 33 years old. And that is a red flag, and that's a concern. And the number of minutes he plays makes you wonder. Uh, I, I don't like the whole favoritism. Oh, Xavi is his friend, and that's why he plays, and he's the captain. That's why he plays. That's not what it is. I think Xavi is brave enough. I mean, he's playing Usmane Dembele, for goodness sake, right? So I don't think Xavi truly cares what anybody thinks of the decisions he's making, right? Like, I think he just wants to get results and wants to do what's best for the team. So he would substitute Busquets if he felt like that was the right thing to do. And I don't think Busquets is clouding his decision-making. But... I think it's fair to ask if that was the wrong decision at the time. Now, that said, though, Barca did get the goal they were looking for. They did draw 2-2. And so you could argue that, I mean, you could argue that the attackers he put on the field did a lot more damage and were a lot more helpful, a.k.a. Luke de Jong, than taking de Jong off or leaving Busquets on were. But uh, yeah, I mean, Domingo, what do you make of the Busquets-De Jong substitution decision? It is kind of strange. I mean, I think... We kind of lost con more control when the young went off. I think I feel like we were a bit better with him on the pitch. He was he was influential, and when it comes down to it, it might sound I don't know a bit shallow, but I feel like Xavi thinks that we just simply don't have anyone 
in the squad who can replace Busquets. If he takes him off, I don't think that, that he feels like there's anyone in the squad who can just take over and, and do what Busquets does. And I'm not sure I, I completely... Well, yes, of course, we already discussed this. There's no one in the squad who can just replace Busquets just, you know, individually and, and, and you know, retain the same level, the same uh, in, involvement and contribution that Busquets has. But that being said, as you, as you already mentioned, there is no way that this is sustainable. He cannot play the whole season on all fronts, full 90 minutes, every single game that is not sustainable. And you will, we will see that in his performances as well, because I mean, he is, he's never been a player who, who needs to be physically at the top, but at the same time, it will show eventually. And I feel like if Xavi keeps this up, I mean, I don't see it not hurting us in the long run. Yeah, on the other side, I think it's totally fair. Also, I mean, Espanol, I as a as a club, I don't like to give them any credit at all if I don't have to. But I have to say that Sergi Darder was really good yesterday. And you know, coming into the match, Espanol had had won one point from their last four matches, so they were not in good form. They weren't playing well. But there's something again, those intangibles. That's unfortunate. We're not talking about in tactics. We're not talking about from match to match or who the opponent is. But there's something about Espanol playing on their home field in Cornea against Barcelona and just that galvanizing thing. And yeah, maybe it was Sergi Dardier after the interview with Sid Lowe. He's kind of in the public eye at the moment. That's why I'm thinking about him too. But it wasn't just the goal. I mean, the goal was a really well placed goal, and it's like. That argument of, oh, Ter Sagan could have done better or uh, Pedro could have closed out quicker or Destin Busquets should have stepped quicker. But it was just a really good goal. I mean, it was, it was tough. It's a good shot. And he put it in the back of the net. And now it's 1-1. But can you create enough chances and dominate the game enough to get the 2-1, which Barca did, that was called offside from Gabi, and it's 2-2. So it's like this weird thing where the narrative of a game and the final result dictate what we think of a goal that happened in the first half. And, and if Barca had won that game 4-1, we wouldn't be talking about the dead air goal. We wouldn't try to be assigning blame. We would just say hey, that was a pretty fantastic goal from a guy that we've read this week has worked his way around. He's been in the Segunda division. He tried out uh, in France with the own that when he was younger, didn't necessarily work all the way. And then RDT is just a, a good player who was able to create space and do some things. And, you know, probably of all the number nines on the, I mean, he was a number nine of everybody on the field that, cost the most who's actually a traditional number nine because Aaron Torres who costs 55 million is not a traditional number nine. He's a false nine. If that, and he's part winger, part false nine, still trying to figure out what he is at 21, but RDT knows exactly who he is. And that's how he got the second goal just by knowing who he is. And Dardaire found the space and delivered the ball too. So Eric Garcia definitely made a lot of a big mistake on that second goal, but a really good assist from Dardaire. So I just want to make sure too, that I'm not getting lost in the fact that Barca should have won the game. Sure. The Barca were, kind of fortunate to get the 2-2. It would have been a historic day for Espanol, but it's that intangible thing that I was thinking about between like Gabi's mindset and when Gabi got the goal and about like that, that, that extra umph that Gabi has that it felt like the team wilted a little bit. And it's, it's frustrating because, you know, don't go, you know, when you and I discuss stuff, right. I, I think I keep flipping back and forth. I, maybe it's because I'm a little unempathetic, but in the second half, was it tactical or was it intensity based? And obviously it was both, right? The result happens for both those reasons. But I'm wondering an exact percentage of what was tactical, what was intensity based, what did the team literally fight and desire? And just, just again, the, the hoopla, the blah, 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 that the Sunday papers put up, like, you know, Barca fights or whatever. Because I feel like people have to say it's one or the other, but certainly it is both. And, and I, I don't know if I'm just projecting the fact that Gabi 
was pushing and wanted to get that goal. And yeah, the second goal, the Luke de Young had scored when he's not on the field. And yeah, there would be more red cards and there was a red card anyway, but you'd have more yellows and more reds if, if you had 11 Gobbies on the field. But it just, it says something that, that Gobby kept fighting and he raises the intensity to that team. And, and I'm almost saying that if, yeah, he came off, but if you don't have a player like Gobby out there and a few more players like Gobby out there, or even a player like Nico, who clearly was pushing and he came on. And I actually like the fact that Gobby, by using him in those 30, 40 minute stretches, he could say, Hey, Nico, you know, I don't know how much you have for 90 minutes, but give me 30, give me 40 minutes, mm-hmm. run around like a chicken with your head cut off and make a difference. And I think Nico does that every time as a super sub midfielder. And I think that role really suits him this season, as you and I discussed, as he's going to hopefully evolve and be able to play as a starter next year. But I don't know. Do you think there was this big drop off in how the team's mentality was? And I mean, clearly they got the they got the equalizer, though. So they didn't quit. They didn't give up. They didn't just settle in. I mean, maybe even the PK Ray card galvanized a little bit. I just feel like not to stop us short, but I feel like we're almost overdoing the tactics a little bit and saying that in a derby, sometimes you just got to be the better team. Sometimes you just got to buck up and say, hey, let's put the ball in the back of the net. We got to want it. We got to we got to fight. That is very true. I mean, people can underestimate that that aspect of, of especially of derbies and this is especially true for Espanola actually because they've been the ones who've been in dreadful form coming into the game and we've been, we've been the ones who are flying high after the Atletico game and Xavi is finally getting his stuff together and it's been visible on the pitch and the tactics and the performances in the execution everything was good and then you come to Espanol you know away game derby it's it's a hostile environment and suddenly they seem like the better team in the first half and I feel like we shouldn't ignore this because it's a derby and Espanol always give like 200% against Barcelona especially when they're at home which they wouldn't or even cannot do against any other team it's 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 something that you cannot really ignore because they they have overperformed massively. This is not Espanol's. I mean, I don't want to be disrespectful or anything, but I don't think that this is like the standard Espanol level because that's the yeah. team that gets battered by Real Betis 4-0 or something, you know, but then they come to Barca and they play like they are uh, in the Champions League in the final or something. It cannot really be ignored. And I feel like Xavi, tactically, we did. he did everything well, almost everything well, from space occupation, from, you know, just a general structure, where how players move, when they're supposed to move, and even chance creation, he did extremely well. But after our first goal, which was like one minute into the game, we kind of dropped out. We, we just, we just we were like, okay, we have the lead, let's just take it easy. And Espanol were the ones on the hunt for the equalizer goal. So that's why, and it plays a, plays a role because you can have the structure, you can have the tactics, but if the other team is biting much more than you are, and you are, you're just like breezing through it and somehow trying to get, you know, to the end of the half or something, it, it will affect how you perform. And I feel like we shouldn't really ignore that. And the second half we had to, we had to chase the game. And when you have to chase the game, it just shifts your mentality. And in a way, PK's red card and Espanol's red card, it kind of hurt them more than us because, you know, they had one fewer you know, player to, to defend, to, to, to bite, to, to keep that uh, compactness and keep the block intact. And we had PK who was off, but we didn't really need him. Well, oh, yeah. Okay. PK always becomes a striker in the final, final moments when bars are down. But if there was someone who was going to make a difference, it, probably wasn't going to be him i mean yeah could be him because he has pk uh, and, and and all that but i think that, that the red card kind of helped us more than if, if it wasn't for the red card if it was 11 versus 11 i feel like espanol would have a bigger chance to kind of survive 
Well, yeah, I think they'd have an extra guy in the box defending when they had 10 in the box at the end of that game in the late in the second half. And Barcelona didn't need an extra player to help with build up or to help knock the ball into the uh, into the opposition third. Yeah. And I think, you know, expectations and this is truth about the season, about the expectations. And because a win against Espanol yesterday would have meant three wins in a row for the first time all season long. And that's what it's been. I mean, I, I say it too. I just want stability. I want to know that Barcelona are not winning the league or flying high are going to win the Europa League, but in a place where you can finally be comfortable and finally feel like there's some stability. But no, I mean, even even this this result, that it, it goes against what you'd expect for Barca to be, but it's this expectation understanding that we've been on this journey all year long. Luke de Young was told, uh, you know, Xavi comes in, Luke de Young is on the fringes of the squad, and he says, hey, you know, you're, you're probably out of this. But then Xavi still needs him. Xavi still needs Luke de Young for a purpose and for a reason. And he, again, comes up big. His fourth goal of the season in 10 matches, just a huge, huge goal. I mean, a huge moment from Luke de Young. Was it a, stark, was a, a startling performance? No. And obviously, he didn't even start. But he's playing the role that if you had to choose a role for Luke de Young, that would be it. That, hey, you got to be nine feet tall, five minutes to go in the game. We really need you to save us here. Can you do it? And he did it again this season. So good on Luke de Young, who scored Barca's 10th header goal of the year, the most of any team in the Liga. And it was also, there's been different numbers here, but apparently it was the most crosses, 25 under Xavi this season. And you could say it's a, a lot to do with personnel, right? Adama Traore, Luke de Young, chasing a game like that against Espanyol, a bubbling end coming on late as well. So yeah, there was like an actual reason. And the game stipulated that there was going to be more crosses, especially late on when Barca, again, are desperate to get that equalizer and you have a player like Luke Young on the field. But even then, it's just like this, this understanding and or not, not understanding, but a lack of understanding that, you know, we're going to be on this roller coaster all season long. I don't want it. You don't want it. No Kool-Aid's want to be on the roller coaster, but this is the ride. The one point, Luke Young being the hero, those are things we have to celebrate because Barcelona are fourth in the table right now. That point kept Barcelona at fourth in the table on pace. So what are the expectations? What is the end goal? The expectations is that even with Ansu out, even with all the injuries, that Barcelona has a talented enough team to finish in the top four of the Liga this season. That is what my expectation is. If that isn't met at the end of the season, I'm going to be pretty bummed. And I get frustrated and I get sad. <laughs> sad is, you know, I, 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 but I get sad when Barcelona doesn't feel like they're on course to get top four. And unfortunately, that's where I'm so conflicted that Barcelona should have beaten Espanyol in a derby like they have not all 23 times, but they haven't lost in 23 matches. So the feeling in that second half, like, oh, no, Barcelona about to lose to Espanyol for the first time since 2000 freaking nine. Right. That's a that's bad. That's not good. It makes me sad. But they were able to rescue it and remind me that this is the roller coaster we're on this season. And I not say I'm going to throw out the Europa League. But what are my expectations of the Europa League? Not much. I think Barca are go could lose 2-1 or 3-1. I'm not going to be surprised. The house of the, the, the house isn't falling down. The house is on fire. It's fine. It's, I mean, not to say that that result is fine. I'm going to be sad. But the goal still is top four in the Liga. And also, I mean, beat, I mean, beat Napoli, right? Get a result against Napoli. That's great because I think his team is capable of that too. I'm not saying that they shouldn't. I'm saying that they can. It's possible. But if they don't, I'm not surprised because we're on the roller coaster. And then Valencia, they could beat Valencia 4-1, 4-0, 5-0, right? Even with a makeshift back line. This team is talented and capable of that. And I keep being stuck between these two minds. But under and the reason why I trust in Xavi again at the end, he's unafraid to go for top four. That's why he's unafraid to, tempt to play Dembele. He was unafraid to put Dembele on for the last 18 minutes. What he did, I don't know. But he's unafraid to throw Luke de Jong and Dembele and everything, the kitchen sink on because he's desperate for results because this team needs to get top four. The summer plans next season, 
I mean, if they don't get top four, it, that's what it all comes down to. And it's silly because, again, I repeat this twice a week and on the match reviews and <laughs> everywhere else. I repeat it a million times over that that's the only goal. And it's hard to myopically keep our focus on that, but that's what it is. And we're just going to have to be along for the ride elsewhere. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, I, I'm not sure what to expect from the Europa League. We could win it. We could lose it you know, to Napoli just in, right now. But I feel like... You are right. I mean, we do have a talented team that can that can go far. It, it can it can definitely get top four. I, I mean, I'm absolutely certain that we have the quality and we have the structure now to 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 get there. I mean, I know Xavi said that it was a step backwards drawing to Espanol. I think that he said that. And result wise, perhaps yeah, we should have won. We could have won. A draw means dropped points. Also means we could kind of didn't use this chance to climb up the standings to third place. And kind of get a step closer to securing top four, even though we were still far away from that. However, excluding the Kings from the from the first half, I'm pretty happy with what I'm seeing on the pitch, and that's that matters as well. I mean, from a just general setup and role, and just the clarity of role point of view. Even Xavi is doing an incredible job. I mean, the team is well defined from space occupation to structure to chance creation. We know what we're good at. And we know where our strengths lie and we know how to exploit them. Even if it's just as simple as overload the left side of the pitch, isolate Amon Traore, get the ball to him, let him run, let him cross, let the young young score a header. Even if it's just that, we know what we're good at, what we can do and how we can exploit that. That's good. This is key. I know that saying trust the process is cheesy. I mean, it is cheesy. But I think that people are very quick to forget and just, just overlook the fact that there is finally a process here in the first place. And I think... As long as we have this direction and that goal, the general sensations will still be positive. Yeah, and you're going to just have to deal with the issues with the back line and issues with personnel and the things that are continuing to be a problem may continue to be a problem, even the likes of Ferran Torres, where I think he's the player right now that epitomizes what that process is. That There are questions. Is he ever going to come good? Is he ever going to get to the level that... Barcelona need him to be for 55 million euros. Like he's already having his question. Yeah, there are already questions about his price tag. There are already those saying that Pep Guardiola, just like with Eric Garcia, had completely swindled Barcelona again and giving a, a Barca a cast off or a play that wasn't worth what he was. A Julian Alvarez, who Man City got at a third of the price, is already a better player than Ferran Torres. And I'm not ready for any of that. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not ready for doing any of that. And the same thing with. As I said, I'm not ready to cast off Eric Garcia. I'm not ready to cast off Aaron Torres. I'm not ready to cast off Sergino Dest uh, under Xavi. You know, as a player overall, I mean, there are things I think we know, again, after two years at Barcelona, but I'm not ready to say that Xavi isn't going to be able to use Dest. And if Dest is sold, I'll tell myself this at night so that I can sleep. But uh, the answer is not going to be that that Dest needed to be sold because he wasn't ever going to fit under Xavi and he wasn't going to improve. It was that he is worth something because he's a young fullback and the fullback market you know, is dictated by who's willing to spend on fullbacks, which I think every club needs a fullback or two. So if Des is worth something on the open market and Xavi doesn't think he could get to the level he needs, or he's the guy that is going to finance a position of need that's even higher because I, we come away with this where, where does Barcelona need, need players? I mean, I, on the listener question show on Levon and I talked about it and center back in a back three might be the answer. And you look at this match again and you're like, well, I felt, I mean, I had made, people were disagreeing with me because I had made a statement the other day. I mean, just just a few days ago, I had made a statement that I, I thought that the center back five, whatever it would be at Barcelona, might be fine next year, even if PK continues on, if Araujo and Eric Garcia were to improve. 
And I thought that that rotation would be just fine. But then you look at this match and you go, oh, wait, no, it isn't. I forgot. It's not. <laughs> the Pico, the PK, I mean, he had his worst game under Xavi against Espanyol. And Eric Garcia had his worst game under Xavi against Espanyol. And Abrajo, it was hot and cold. He came off at, after 45 minutes because he was hurt again. Right. So you could argue that that is one of his poor performances. So when your three most important center backs all kind of put up a little bit of stinkers, right? Like the, the, the diaper's a little dirty there. Uh, then you go, okay, well then, yeah, Barcelona desperately need Jules Kunde, or they desperately need Christensen, or even Aspilicueta would be this huge, huge addition as a center back, right? So all of those things become true because of one game. And, and that's just, you know, the, the quick knee-jerk reaction. So I, I think we've done a good job, Dumbo, going and summing it up in the, the long term and summing it up in the short term. Is there anything you have to add about this? Any thoughts on Adama Traore or Luke de Young's playing time moving forward or Obama Yang or Ferran Torres? Anything you got on the attack? Is, is, I think it's time to wrap it up. I think that Adama Traore is doing exactly what Xavi needs him to do. And I feel like with him specifically, I don't want to take anything away from his performances because he's been he's been great. He's been a difference maker ever since he got here. In the first two games that he's played, two assists, that's just fantastic. But I think it's more about the profile than Adama Trower himself. We've seen what Xavi or Xavi's system can do with when there's a profile that fits that system and does what Xavi needs him to do. And Barca now, they, they can now see what works and... I feel like someone in his mold only better would be like, you know, it, that would be gold for Barca on, on, on the right flank. But, but isn't that, wait, but isn't that, uh, to that point, right? Isn't that the key almost everywhere, right? Alves, mm -hmm. same mold, but younger. Alba, yes. same mold, maybe a little bit better defense, but same mold, but younger. <laughs> PK, right? Yes. Same mold, but younger. Yeah. Ferran Torres, same mold, but more prolific in front of net, right? It's like mm. uh, Busquets, same mold, but quicker, right? Like, yeah. or younger. Like, it seems like ever on the pitch, right? Like Adama Torre, as you just said, like same mold, except definitely more clinical, which is yeah. not what he is. Yeah, that, that is very true. I mean, and some of the, those positions are easier to replace than others. I feel like also at one point in the game yesterday, it was like we desperately lack someone who can just flip the game when it's had, like in a second, we, have, we don't have a difference maker. And then I remember, okay, that's what that's why Laporta wants Holland, for example, because he's just this force of nature that goes forward and just wills goals into existence. We don't have that player. Ever since Messi left, we don't we didn't we don't have someone who can make something out of nothing. Dembele is not that guy. Could have been that guy potentially, but obviously he won't be for the obvious reasons. And I don't know. It just just feels like this team has so many holes to plug. And then you think about spending all the budget on, on one player in the summer and i'm like i'm not sure that's the right thing to do but at the same time we need that sort of player who's like you know a force of nature and <laughs> i guess we'll see we'll see uh i mean the, the free agents are not too bad when you look at them as Pliqueta, when you look at christensen those cheaper options they're not so bad they can be good options just we'll, we'll have to wait and see i guess yeah, so a lot of lot of transfer talk, but the, it's going to continue to be that Barca need help. They need enforcements. But in Xavi's system, the ideas, as you said, if Barcelona are able to upgrade over the summer, you could tell this team, this team is talented enough to get top four, but upgrading the positions, but keeping the system. And basically, again, again, progress is not linear. But if this plan, if you could be patient and trust this process, you could see where the tools moving forward could be for this 
this football club. Well, Domagoy, we're going to be talking more about the, the, the game plan in the future and all that stuff in the future. But you can follow Domagoy uh, certainly on Twitter. That's where to find him. Head down to the show notes. Uh, he is D Kostenchuk on social media. Uh, if you want the spelling for that again, down in the show notes, click on his name. <laughs> That'll be the, the better, the easier way to go about that route. Sorry, Domagoy. Um, no and then Twitter and Instagram for us at the Barcelona Pod, Hilton D13 for me. Close Acer group. That's where we had our listener questions from last week's show. But then Patreon is how we keep making these shows. Thank you to everyone who supports us there. And then on YouTube with the match reviews at the Barcelona Podcast, I do my five headlines over there and some little extra stuff as well. I had a whole thing last week about the finances of the club to let you know even if you want to go shopping, how hard that might be in the summertime. So that's a little bit of bad news there for you. So most importantly, though, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Go to Barcelona.